the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we've been on a series entitled 2017 on Purpose, and it's been good. Does anybody remember what we did last week? We had a guest speaker. Does anybody remember what we did, what, what I talked about the week before that? Put me in, coach. Listen, you guys need to take notes like these youth here on the front row. Put me in, coach, because we talked about our long-term vision for 2017. Today's message is entitled, A Holy Calling. That's on your sheet if you're filling out your sheet and filling in the blanks. A Holy Calling. Stay in 2 Timothy, but let me mention in 2 Kings chapter 7, there's a story of the city of Samaria, which is being besieged by the Aramean army. It's a bigger army. They've got the whole place surrounded. And the people within the walls, they've locked the gates, you know, and they're stuck within the walls of the city of Samaria for this long period of time because if they go out, they'll get killed. But the problem with that is, is they ran out of food. And so, over a period of time, they say a, a cup of dove's dung was selling for like five pieces of silver. <laughs> they were eating it. Now, that's how hungry they were with inside, inside this place. But that's not what I'm going to get at. Outside the gate, just sitting at the gate, were four lepers. Well, they wouldn't let the lepers in <laughs> because they're contagious. They're quarantined. They couldn't even come inside the gate. So these guys are outside scratching their... Heads, you know, and saying, man, well, we wish we could go in. But th and they're starving out there, and they've got this skin disease, and they're miserable, and life is just really at the pit. And then they got to thinking, you know what? We ain't got much to lose. And I've been thinking. I, I imagine one of them. I've been thinking, you know, if we go in there, they're starving in there too. If you go inside the city in the gate, you're starving in there. We're starving right here. We're about to die. The enemy's out there. What do we do? One of them probably looked up and said, I'll tell you what, we got nothing to lose. Let's go face the enemy. And maybe God will have mercy on us. And they said, we got nothing to lose. So they stood up. I imagine they dragged themselves towards the enemy. Well, they go dragging up to the enemy's camp. To see if God would have mercy. What they didn't know was behind the scenes, God had come into the Aramean camp with this loud noise. It sounded like a million chariots coming. And the Aramean army thought to themselves, the Israelites have done hired the Egyptians and the Syrians to kill us all. And they just took off running for their lives and left the whole camp empty. Every one of them just took off, left all their stuff. And so when those four lepers come walking in, they're, they're hello, the camp. We're, we're, coming, we're coming in. Don't shoot. And I imagine that, you know, they're a little apprehensive, but they come into the camp, and they get to looking around, and all the tents are empty. There's no sign of life anywhere. And inside the tents, 
There's plenty of food. Man, I can, can you see them now? I mean, there's stuff in their faces. And they look around. Look, look at that robe. Look at that silk shirt. And they got all these clothes, and, and there's gold in them there heels. And I ain't talking about macaroni and cheese. There was real silver and real gold. So they find a bag, I can imagine, and start stuffing it, and they're hiding stuff over here, and then they're running around, I can't believe this, I can't believe this. And then one of them's dragging, oh, I can't believe this, you know. <laughs> they are so excited. And you know why I tell that story? It reminds me of us. One time, I, well, me, I was sitting outside the gate. Helpless, hopeless. And I wanted in the city so bad. I thought my answer was in the city to be with everybody else, to be, to be like everybody else. But then I realized they're just as lost as me. And I thought, if I go in there, I'm going to die. And if I stay right here, I'm going to die. Why don't I? face the enemy, and see if God will have mercy on me. And what happened? God had mercy. God had mercy. And when I looked into the covenant of God, I realized, man, did he have mercy. And I wanted to hoard it all up and put it in bags, and, and man, I was just so excited. But then what did those four lepers do? I'll tell you later. Is anybody to 2 Timothy 1 yet? That's a good story. It's a true story. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who hath saved us? Now, if you were to make that a question, who are we talking about? Who saved us? Jesus. Come on, guys. I know you know that much. Who has saved us? And called us with an holy calling. Say holy calling. Holy calling. What's the title of our message? Holy a holy calling. It's not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before you were even created, before the world was even created. Before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye. What is a holy calling? Well, I looked up the word calling in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and it defines it as a strong inner impulse towards a particular course of action. Then it goes on to say, especially when accompanied by a conviction of divine influence. So even the Merriam-Webster Dictionary understands that a, a calling comes from within, gives you purpose, and it comes from a divine influence. Sound like they know what a holy calling is better than most Christians. Our holy calling comes from God, and that's what makes it holy. Not because of us, or not because of our works, according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, because it's God's purpose and grace lived out through us by his grace. Am I making sense? Do you have a holy calling? 
You do. And answering your holy calling will purge you from dead works. What are dead works? Unfruitful time killers. Sitting outside of the gate, wasting your life away. Not doing anything. Doing the wrong thing. Answering your holy calling will purge you from these dead works. And it ordains us to serve the living God. You've been ordained to serve the living God. We're all called to the ministry. That's on your sheet. You know, I, I mentioned those sheets, not just to break up my sermon, but... Because they have the announcements on it, and there's a lot of announcements that you need to know about. That's how we connect and understand what's going on in the church. And plus, for some people, it helps them to pay attention. Now, we're not all called to the fivefold ministry, obviously. Pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, and prophets. We're not all called to the five, that's what we call the fivefold ministry, where somebody gets up behind the pulpit or or, you know, it's a holy call, calling, but and you, God has to kind of speak to you and shake you and, and get you to realize it. But we are all called with a holy calling because we're all participants in the, the Great Commission, right? We're all been called to be uh, what's, the, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Well, I'll think of that one later. But we're all called to go into the world and make disciples. So that's a ministry. And that, that's something that you're all called to, so you all have a holy calling. I wrote this, a holy calling is most beautiful when God's people live out their purpose together in order to advance the kingdom. You put all these little lights, these little candles that we have together, and you make a big flame. You make a city on a hill. You make a difference. Now, you can, you can be on your own and have a holy calling, but it, it, it'll never ignite until you begin to come together with God's people in God's church, which Jesus said he will build. And you come together and you put your holy calling with somebody else. Then it becomes beautiful. And then you begin to see exponential growth, exponential flame, light. Come together. Does it make sense? So we come together. The world may scoff at, at our holy calling. You know, the world don't understand. They don't understand anything about God. They think we're silly, that we're just believing in pie in the sky or whatever. They don't understand that, that there's something deeper. They're trying not to understand that. But I don't, you know, they, they think that the world would be better off without Christians. A lot of them. Have you noticed that? If they had their way, they would just do away with the Christians. But I don't think they've thought that through. Do you know what this world would be like without Christians? They're going to find out one day pretty soon after the rapture. Then we'll see. And that's why they call it the what? The Great Tribulation. Because all the light has left planet Earth. 
I don't think they thought it through because the church is the largest provider of churches, hospitals, uh, schools in the world. Do you know a hundred out of the first 110 universities in the United States was a Christian university? Of course, you know our founding fathers created us one nation under God. The Christians are the ones running most of the nursing homes, the battered women's facilities. We're the ones who have the heart for the disabled. Worldwide homeless ministries all over the world. We're the ones instituting child protection laws. Think of what's going on with the children in this world. It's the Christians feeding them and rescuing them from human trafficking, giving them foster care, orphanages, children's homes. Christians are the ones fighting for human rights. All humans, even the unborn. Christians fight for life. They provide housing, food for the poor around the world, relief agencies galore. They're building libraries and things like that. Most of the scientific discoveries that, that have changed and rocked our world came from Christian scientists. I know we were hesitant to give science any credit these days because it's been hijacked by the world, and they try, the scientists today feel it their obligation to try to explain the world without Jesus. And it's, they've taken on a whole new life. But in reality, most of the things that we come to understand, like gravity and, and that we're not the center of the universe and we revolve around the sun and the sun doesn't revolve around us, all those things... Christians like Sir Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein, Galileo, Johann Kepler. Those are just a few names. And the list goes on into the hundreds of names. And many that you would probably recognize were Christians with a holy calling to help us understand. And most, uh, well, all of their revelations brought us closer to understanding that God is true, and the things that we see in the Bible, when God talked about uh, being above the circle of the earth long before we thought that the earth was round. You know, it, it brings the Bible into light for us. Scientific contributions. We have missionaries that are circling the globe. We have a tremendous impact on civil liberties, and just the thought of having freedom. Isn't it good that we don't live under Sharia law? But because of Christians, you can ha have freedom. It's the Christians running the rehabs. It's the Christians doing the prison ministries. Even the Humane Society for Animals was a Christian-founded organization. Here's some more that you might recognize. Salvation Army, the Red Cross, Goodwill, the YMCA, World Vision, Samaritan's Purse, all these started with a Christian who had a simple holy calling. Now, I'm not saying all of those are still, after those men died, some of them have gone astray. But the work that they began was with a holy calling. In fact, every ill of society is currently being addressed in one shape, form, or another of people like me and you who just lived out their holy calling. 
as Christians. People with a holy calling from a loving God. And I've not even mentioned what impact the Word of God has had on our understanding, on our laws, on our culture, on our behavior. And what about the civility in the world because of the love of Christians? In a world where all you look around, you see hatred and confrontation and division. Somebody has to be that bigger person that I, I talked about not long ago, or we've been talking about on Wednesday night. Somebody had to step up and be the adult. And it was only those who listen to Jesus and follow his teachings that will be the bigger person and love and pray for your enemies and such. And of course, we who are sitting in this room today who understand eternity and understand the magnitude of, of that thought, and at least to some degree, understand that our greatest contribution to the world is our message that Jesus Christ is Lord. That there's a Father, Son, and there's a Holy Ghost. And that if you'll receive Jesus as Lord of your life, humble yourself and give your heart to Him, you can have life, eternal life. That's our greatest contribution. And that's the thing that we're doing with those missionaries around the world. It's changing one life at a time. Sometimes we look at the world and say, man, there's no way. It's too late. We've messed this thing up and, and evil is winning. How, how could we ever turn it around? We can't turn around their, their spin and their talking points. And, and man, it looks like we've lost this case and we've lost that. And morals are, are down the tubes. The way we do it is one life at a time. That's the way we've always done it. Jesus started with what? Just a handful of disciples. And he turned the world upside down. And that's the way we still do it today, one life at a time. Now, last week I told you I shared, not last week, but two weeks ago, last time I preached, I shared our long-term vision for 2017. Does anybody remember what that was? Planting passion churches all around the world. It was a lofty vision. It is a lofty vision. And it's a vision that we're going to see come to pass if, we, if Jesus tarries. The one, the one that we here at Passion Church are very serious about. And if we'll each just live out our holy calling and come together as a church, man, we'll light up this world. We'll bring that world-shaking vision to pass. And I believe it with my whole heart or else I wouldn't be preaching. And I'm not just up here just saying things that... I think you want to hear. I'm, I believe I'm saying things I think God wants you to hear. I want to speak for the Lord. I think that, you know, and, and get his heart into us. I believe he, he, he wants to get his heart into us. He doesn't want us just to finish out our time. Well, we did okay. We kept, it, kept the doors open. There's more. There's so much more. So what's stopping us? What is stopping Passion Church DeSoto from impacting the entire world? For our holy calling becoming worldwide like Coca-Cola or McDonald's or something. When we have God on our side. If they could do it, why couldn't we? 
I mean, honestly, we can impact this world. Angie came to me the other day, and she said something. She asked a question. She was so honest. Angie's, as you know, is very honest with her feelings. And uh, she, she just said, are we acting like the ten spies with our vision, our, t- our long-term vision? And what she meant was, you know, you know the story about the twelve spies, and they went in to spy out the promised land. And they, and they said, man, that is, that is a, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they were all excited about it, but they came back, and ten of them were like, yeah, but we can't have it. We can't. I mean, it would be nice. I appreciate the thought, Pastor. But, I mean, because Angie's honest, and she was just talking about herself now. She was just talking about herself. She said, I heard the vision, and I know what you, you've been telling me the vision, and, and, and she's part of the vision. And she, wants me to, she wants me to anoint her. But realistically, how many of you just heard it and said, oh, that, that was a good sermon, and you forgot what the vision was, and, and you just let it pass? And you say, well, okay, well, if that, if that comes to pass, I'll, I'll be here. I'll watch it come to pass. You know, that's what they want to do. I'm, I'm along for it, you know. But you really hadn't thought about it. And you're really thinking, that's that's." high in the sky that's you know he's just anybody can say that really let's talk about the 10 spies so they go in it's 12 spies go in and they stay there for 40 days and they look around just to see what's going on in the promised land in the promised land and they come back out and uh in numbers 13 if you'll turn there We'll see what their report said. Numbers chapter 13, verse 27 is where we'll start. In verse 27 it says, This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it was indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified, and we even saw giants living there, the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So they come in, and they say, yeah, it was nice, but have you seen the people? I mean, come on, we can't do that. You know, we know there's opposition against us. We're not just going to be able to walk in there and take any of that. But Caleb, not one of the ten that I'm mentioning, but one of the twelve, tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go in at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. So they went around telling each other, it would be nice, 
But that's never going to happen. We can't do that. Have you seen, I mean, we, we run 60 or 70 on a Sunday. We're going to take the world. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw there were huge, even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too because they saw themselves as small. They saw themselves as small. And if you continue in chapter 14, it says, Then the whole community began to weep aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus to protest against Moses and Aaron. So then they began to blame the one who came with, you know, the leaders. If we had only died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Is that what we want to do? I mean, we could shut the doors and y'all could, y'all could be in bed right now on a Sunday morning. We could sit outside the gate, scratch ourselves. <laughs> like those four lepers. Isn't that what y'all want to go back to? Then they plotted among themselves. <laughs> Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Some of y'all are thinking, we need to get a new pastor. <laughs> <laughs> then Moses and Aaron fell down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Do I need to fall down on the ground? Two of the men who had explored the land... Part of the twelve, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing in disgust at all the negativity. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land, and the Lord is, is pleased with us. He will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It's a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. If God gives us a vision, you're not rebelling against me. If you're speaking negative and doubtful and won't get it, pick up, you're into the, the load, you're rebelling against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. We don't want to hear that positive talk. We've heard it before. Mm, mm. Mm. How many brought your rocks in here this morning? <laughs> Let me tell you the result of what happened. After this little fiasco where the people had an uproar, their doubt made God so mad that Moses had to fall down on his knees and plead for their very existence because God was going to wipe them all out. 
because of their doubt and unbelief. Instead, he relented and he sentenced them to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. One year for each day that they spent in the promised land, spying it out. None of that generation was ever allowed to go in to the promised land except Joshua and Caleb. The ten spies who I have aforementioned were struck dead by a plague for their rebellion. Then, after hearing God's opinion on the matter and his judgment about their doubt and unbelief, all of a sudden the people were, were like, well, maybe we were hasty. Maybe we didn't think this through. We'll do what you want, God. Come on, let's gather up, get your stuff. We'll go. God is with us. And Moses says, uh-uh, don't go. Don't go. God is not in this. But they decided they were going to go anyway when they heard that they would have to wander in the desert for 40 years. So they hiked themselves up, crossed the Jordan without the Ark of the Covenant, without Moses, without God, and they went over there to try to take the promised land by themselves. And guess what? They got whooped, came back with their tail between their legs because God was not with them. But see, we're not going without God. We're not, gonna take the, we're not even going to try to take this world without God. We're taking God. We say, God, if you're not in it, I'm not going. We're going to follow God, and in fact, step by step, he is going to be our protection. The ten spies had been negative. Maybe that's your nature. It had been your nature. You, I, I was a perfectionist. I always saw what was wrong with everything. I'm trying to change that. I don't want to be negative. Maybe you're a complainer by heart. It comes natural to you to complain about things. That's what the ten spies were. And worse than all that, they were rebellious. They just refused to do what God asked them to do, and they were intimidated by the task. They were fearful, hesitant to give themselves to the task and what it might require. Maybe you're holding on. Man, I like my comfort way too much for a big plan like that, Pastor. I'm going to find me a church that we're just going to sit in, and we're getting different color pews. Well, I'm going to a red pew church. <laughs> I, I'm not going to no passionate purple church ever again. Y'all talk too big for me. Y'all want something out of me. The ten were scared of who would oppose them. They're thinking, man, I can't do it. I, Pastor, I'm with you. I, I want to do what, you're, what God wants us to do. I want to be on board and everything, but I... Man, I don't even know how to talk to people. I, I, I don't read my Bible like I should. I'm not equipped to do anything. I, I, I just can't. And you don't think you're able. And then you have those who probably, like I said, like a lot of us, when we heard the long-term vision, thought to myself, I'd like to see that happen. They'd like to see that happen. So they're going to sit back and say, if it happens, it happens. We've heard these kind of lofty visions before. We'll just see how this one goes. And so they think, 
Maybe I'll join in later after success is assured, you know, or after I know it's going to work. I'm going to sit back and watch this thing for a while. You remember that video we watched about the dead cells? How he got a little rumble going and all that. But he talked about before that, dead cells, sit back thinking everybody, somebody else is going to do it. And what do dead cells do? They create other dead cells. They do not create, they, they, nobody else picks up the slack. The dead cells sit there moaning and complaining, we never do nothing. And they won't do nothing. And so other people say, negativity breeds negativity. We can't sit back and wait for it to happen. We have to be the ones who make it happen. You know, this, this, these ten spies, they're, they're out of the same bunch that argued with Moses when he was trying to deliver them from slavery in the first place. When he came in and said, God wants to deliver you. Oh, well, wait a minute now. They're going to take away our, our straw for the bricks, and you're just making things harder on us. They didn't want to be delivered from slavery. And then they saw all the miracles of God. God brought them out with a strong right hand, ten signs and wonders. And then he brought them through the Red Sea on dry ground. They saw all this. And here they are. This is not 40 years later. This is, not, this is right up about that time. Because they went to the promised land, was ready to cross in. Just a few months later, I think. And they just went across on dry ground in the Red Sea. And they didn't believe. And they're still arguing. And they're still dragging around this slave mentality see the devil is doing a a work in this world he's enslaving us hold on I'll tell you the rest of the message in a minute Hold on, i got to make a post. Hold on. <laughs> Smile. Hashtag, this is the bunch. What's the, what's the next thing? Goggles. He is enslaving us into nothingness, into virtuality of nothing. Is that the life you want to live? Or will you take the goggles off and get in the fight? If you're feeling like the ten spies about our vision, about your life, about your holy calling, let me remind you of something that Kaylee just sang. You are no longer slaves. And Rocky would say, cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. So what are we going to do? First, let me speak to all the Caleb's and the Joshua's in this place. There are Caleb's and Joshua's in here that has been here for probably 15, 20 years. You're still around. You're still faithful, despite having to endure a bygone era of church members that wouldn't go in. And I'm not naming any names, and I'm not saying there was leadership that tried to take us in before, but we wouldn't go in. We thought it better just to, to 
and have it a pew on Sunday morning. But I want you to know you can rekindle the fire because it's not over. God's not forgotten about you and your faithfulness to this, this living organism called the Passion Church and whatever we've been called in the past. He's not forgotten the prophecies that's gone forward about this church. Now you're the mature leaders. Now you're the ones that's going to help the young ones understand and you're going to lead, help lead us in. You need to be the thermostats in this place, not the thermometers. We've got enough thermometers. Oh, it's kind of warm. Oh, it's, it's cold today. You set the temperature. It's time for us to set the temperature and stop just reacting to it. Hitch up your pants and get in a fight, people. All of us. We've got to get a fighting mentality. Get plugged in somewhere. What do, you, what do you mean, Pastor? I don't know what to do. You just talk, and, and you get me excited about doing something, but I don't know what to do. Have you looked at your bulletin? There's announcements galore in there. There's a calling for new youth, I mean, uh, children's church leaders. There's, there's places to put your hand to the plow everywhere you look in here. And we're trying to find more. One thing that we know that we're going to have a big children's ministry because it's been prayed out. Right now we have just enough children's ministers to, to handle what we have. But that's not preparing for growth. We want to have three times that many. So when the growth comes, we will be ready. We've got to think ahead. You want to be an usher. You want to be a greeter. You, want to, you like computers. Work with the sound booth back there. You like working with sound. You like to be on a praise team. You have gifts and calling. Find out what your holy calling is. Ask God and say, where can I? And, and, and you say, well, I, I don't like any of that stuff. Or I don't feel, I don't feel like I can do it. Do something. Amen. Do something. Just do something. Because God can't steer a parked car like Brother Stephen said last Sunday. You have to... You have to crank that booger up and get it in the drive in some kind of way. You may be heading in the wrong direction. And, uh, well, I'm just doing this because I'm going to do something. By God, I'm not going to sit in that purple chair no longer and be in, in, in park. And so you get moving. Okay, I don't like children's ministry. I'm going to try. <laughs> God will steer you, but you've got to get moving. He can't steer you if you're sitting still. I started, I've done everything in the church pretty much. I didn't think I would like children's ministry. I was in it 10 years and wish I was still in it. Where are we at? Am I asking y'all to do anything for me? Am I asking you to do it for this church? Am I asking, it, asking you to do anything for you? Maybe to some degree. But the real reason I am trying to influence you and to try to stir up your passionate pursuit of true purpose is for Jesus. Because I know what he did for me. And I know he did it for you. And I know that you want to give him back everything that he has given you. Your heart is to please him. I know it is. And I'm not asking you for me. I'm pleading on behalf of the one who sent me. Be reconciled to Christ. 
Be ministers of reconciliation for others. 2 Timothy 1.9 that we were in, in verse 8 that we didn't read says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Look, it's not going to be in your power. It's not go- you're not going to have to do it on your own. But yes, be a partaker partaker of the afflictions god forbid that we should have to suffer just a little bit to please the one who suffered at calvary who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose. See, it's God's purpose that I'm trying to stir you up about. And it's by God's grace that we will accomplish which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Under Joshua's leadership, they began to take the promised land one city at a time. And that's the way we'll do it. First, we've got to take this city. First, we've got to build this church. First, we've got to to establish who we are and what God wants us to export. We've got to put, we've got to put, what do you call them, the pencil to paper? You've got to put, we've got to say, okay, this is how we do it in the children's church and and have it written down. We're we're discovering who we are and how we're going to export it. We're going to be raising up leaders and then we're going to teach them to have the same heart, the same calling, and then move leaders, new pastors, to plant new churches. And then we begin to go, grow and go. And so that's what we're going to do. One city at a time and one life at a time. And each one of you. Let, let me show you a, a graph real quick. This graph, better than any anyone I've ever seen explains what we do here at the Passion Church. Did Jesus say go and make disciples? That's all our holy calling, right? Okay, so it, it stands to reason that the church would be a disciple factory. Just like Chevrolet. You bring in some metal at one end of the plant, and at the other end of the plant you drive out in a Z71, right? Right? There are processes you, you go down this assembly line, to this assembly line, to this assembly line. They put the motor in or whatever, and they paint it, and, the, and then they send it out the other side, a, a Chevrolet car or truck. Well, when you come into the Passion Church, you start the process of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the best way to, to explain it, at the top, we gather. That's what we've done today. This is the gathering. Sunday is the gathering place. That's where we all come together. Hopefully, within this gathering place, we have some people who aren't the same old, same old regulars. We're bringing in new life to begin the process so that we have someone to connect. 
Now, what's the first connection that needs to be made? They need to connect to Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate connection that we want to make. We want them to give their heart to Jesus. We want them to feel the presence of God in here and get connected and give their heart to Jesus. But we also, in that connection, we want them to connect to some of us. So if you see new people, we want to reach out. We want to be friendly. Um, it would be nice if somebody would ask the new people to go to lunch or because or, we want to make a connection. And, and every department in the church understands this graph. Every department un understands that there's somewhere in, in this four boxes, in this circle, that their primary location is to either help connect or help develop or help mobilize. But the connection is the first step. We want new people to feel connected. We want them to feel like part of the family. We want them to know that they're loved and they're appreciated no matter where they came from and, and what their thinking is. We want them to know that we're here to help them and, and, and uh, we want them to connect with Jesus. Okay, once they connect, then we begin the process of trying to develop them. How do we do that? Well, we say, hey, would you, two or three weeks in, is like, do you, would you mind ushering if somebody will come up to you? We wish people wouldn't wait to be invited. They would just say, I, I will, but a lot of times people sit back and wait to be invited. But we, add, we try to connect people with something, get them involved. Because once they get involved, then we can begin to develop them as disciples. They, as they serve, they can learn. They, they're, they're hooked up with other uh, people within that department who will begin to disciple them, take them under their wing, show them how uh, Christians uh, serve and the thoughts behind what we're doing and why we're helping the community and why we're doing what we do. So you, so you develop them and then mobilize why do you mobilize because we can't just sit between these green walls and uh minister to ourselves because you have to go and make disciples yep you go you mobilize you get back out into the community you the people who have developed to the point where they feel like i'm going to that outreach i'm just going to Pass out hot dogs, but I'm going. Amen. And that's a step. <laughs> and, and in the developing process, there's all kinds of things going on, teaching them to minister. In fact, we have a, a class coming up. What did I call it in the, the thing here? Something 101. Witness 101. We're having a class coming up, teaching people how to tell people about Jesus, invite them to church, the basics. So we're developing people to mobilize. And then when you begin to, when you have a church that begins to get outside its walls and mobilize, what do they do? They bring more people together. And the process starts all over again. One life at a time. Now there's just four steps. Is that too complicated? Isn't that something we can all do? You're on that circle right there. Some, you, every one of you. If you were to be honest, you could place where you're at. Oh, well, I'm just kind of gathering today. I don't know these people. <laughs> All right, you're at the gathering spot. But before you leave, hopefully somebody will invite you to church and say, next week, you I've kind of connected to this place. Two or three weeks later, you'll be standing at the door, passing out flyers, you know, the bulletins. How you doing? Welcome to my church. 
Now you're developing. Before you know it, you'll be handing out hot dogs. (laughs) And saying, I'm a little nervous to do this, but here's one of our invitation cards. You you could come if you want to. (laughs) You did it! And they come. And then you get the joy of the Lord. You're saying, and then they bring their family and everybody gets saved. And you're like, I can't believe I'm a part of this. Oh my goodness of a generation being changed. And you see why you're here. It's not to sit at the gate and scratch yourself. (laughs) Jesus just started with a handful. And and just using this right here, he connected with them. He developed them. He sent them out two by two. And man, they started bringing other people back. And the power of God, and then the power of God was, and the love of Jesus was the source behind it all. We've got all that. We've got everything that we could ever need that pertains to life and godliness to win this world for Jesus. The, The nucleus, the seed. The DNA is in this room to rock this world for Jesus. I'm not just saying we're going to do this. I mean we are going to do this. There's one day there's going to be a passion church in Bangladesh. And somebody's going to say, oh, it's the passion church. Oh. It's the real Jesus, the real Jesus. Yeah, he was a good pastor until he he got unpolitically correct on us. The good news is, has nothing to do about the pastors. The pastors are just one of the leaders of many. It, it is not about a personality contest. I am not trying to build a, some major church or something so that I can say, look at me. I want to build you. And I want you to build others. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.